Morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's great to have you guys with us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Um, you know, I think there's one thing that is really misunderstood in our lives. There's one event that's going to happen in our lives. It's not death, but there's one event that's going to happen in all of our lives. And I think the, the misunderstanding of that event, and in others' lives, the misunderstanding of that event can really, really either wreck us or it can help us get to the next level. And what I want to do today is talk about that event and what is that event where you're going to find out. But David, the guy we've been following, King David now, at the height of his reign and his rule now as king, God's anointed. I mean, you're seeing God do amazing things. You're going to see this event happen in David's Life. And so if you have your Bibles, look at 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. And it says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. And it says, They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege on the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So David got really, really comfortable as king. He sent all of his army out to go fight, and he just stayed back in Jerusalem because things were going so well. I'm not preaching on this today, but it's something I shared last year, 2023, and it was our vision night, is that you got to be really careful, careful when things are going well. Amen. You know, when things are going bad, we usually seek Jesus, we're all in. When things go well, we get comfortable. We allow things in our life we shouldn't allow in our life, and we begin just to drift from the Lord when things get really good, right? I see it over and over again, and again, this is the sermon today, but I want to just give a caveat to this, is that... Many of you will come in seeking Jesus because you need God to do something for you. Then when he does it, you're gone. And God doesn't see you anymore, hear from you. We've got to be very careful of that. That's what David did. It says, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David took naps too. Jesus took naps. Naps are completely biblical, right? <laughs> David got out of his bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. So he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her, and she had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. She then returned home, and later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent a message saying to David saying, I am pregnant. And I wish it could stop there that David ended up, you know, committing adultery and getting a woman pregnant. I wish we could stop there. I wish that was the story that we could tell. But it gets even worse. And as the writer of 2 Samuel tells us, David then tries to set up a conspiracy and, and tries to sabotage and say, hey, you know what, let's, let's Uriah, let's get him back in from war. Uriah was out fighting on the front lines for his nation. Let's get him in, let's get a few drinks in him, and then let's see if he'll go back and sleep with his wife, and he'll, he'll think it's his. And we're good. We're scot-free. And I could preach a whole message on Uriah because he's a man of integrity. He comes back. He's like, I'm not doing that. I've got guys out on the front lines fighting battles. You want me to go? You, you want me to do this? And like, no, I'm not doing that. And then David takes it a step further. He then has him set up and killed in battle. Where he tries to wipe his hands clean, hide it, cover it under the rug. And then it all comes into the open when Nathan, the prophet, confronts David, which we'll look at next week. And what I want to do today is talk about that event that happened in David's life, because all of us have had that event. Maybe, maybe you didn't have this type of colossal you know, breakdown. Maybe you didn't have this type of you know, going off into the ditch, but we all had this event, and the event is called failure. And I think the problem is, is that we all are going to encounter failure. 
Every one of us. And the issue is how we view failure, how we respond to failure. And let me take it a step further, Christians. How you respond to others who have failed. We are the most judgmental people on planet Earth when it comes to our fellow brothers and sisters who have failed. I mean, think about it. You're like, no, not, not me. I'm, I don't do that. Well, good for you, Mr. Pharisee or Miss Pharisee. But for most of us, we do. You know how I know that? What is the Apostle Thomas's nickname? His nickname is Doubting, Doubting Thomas. This man, now granted, y'all call him Doubting Thomas. Not Apostle Thomas who carried the gospel to India. But Doubting Thomas. This man is in heaven. He has done more from the gospel than we all collectively will do for the gospel. And we still call him Doubting. Because at one point in time, he didn't even make a mistake. He was just like, hey, let's make sure it's you, Jesus. Show me the, and Jesus like, that's fine. Hey, go ahead. And I think so many times it's, it's how, we, how we view others who have failed and then how we process failure that's so important. But can I tell you what we will learn about David and what I've learned in my life and hopefully you're gonna learn in your life? I want you to write this down here. Is that failure is inevitable to become optimal. Failure is inevitable if you wanna become optimal. What does that mean? If you want the best version of yourself to, to be a representation of Christ, Optimal means the best that you can be. Optimal, man. But failure is going to be inevitable. You cannot get to the best version of yourself without failure. You cannot get to the best version of yourself and all that God wants for you without making mistakes. That's why, again, I'll say this, parents, let, some, let your kids make mistakes. I mean, you, you bubble wrapped them, you got them locked into a closet until they're 18, and they're going to go out and make every mistake they should have been having some, some help making. That's how we develop, that's how we grow. That's how you learn. And if you're gonna become the best version of yourself, and if others become the best version of themselves, it's how we view failure and how we treat others when they have failed. And David is a perfect example because he had more failures in this one season of his life than most of us will ever have. Adultery and murder. All right, I know you've had a bad week, but I guarantee that if you stack against adultery and murder, you're not doing too bad, are you? I mean, you should be like, okay, well, maybe I'm doing pretty good. He was, he was the king of Israel, right? You know, but what we have to learn is this, is that everyone will fail, not everyone will leverage their failure. And that's what I've learned. Every, either it will propel you or pummel you, and it's your choice. It's only you that can decide that. Nobody around you, no matter what they think of you, what they say to you, it's up to you when you fail. Either you're gonna leverage it or you're gonna let it beat you down and keep replaying over and over and let shame and guilt take you down. I mean, one of the most colossal failures in battle was in World War II. The Russians uh, decided to create this plan to take down the panzer divisions of the, uh, of the German army. They had, they, had, they had just like, you know, awesome tanks. They're like, we'll take them down. Here's what their plan. Now, I don't agree with this plan, so don't look at me inside eye me because I love dogs, right? But they decided to like strap landmines onto dogs and teach them with food to go under those tanks and then boom, blow the tanks up, right? Now, I would be all for it if it was cats, <laughs> right? But it's dogs, so I don't like that. But, but they trained them to do that. And so they go out in the battle and the Russian army goes out and they send these dogs out and the dogs all start running back to their bases and their tanks to find food and start blowing up their own base. 
They had to retreat and take the minds off and try to design. It was a colossal failure. And so just realize that everyone is going to fail in life. But it's how you respond to that. And what I want to do today is help you um, with your past failures and with your current failures and the future failures that you're going to have. Because if you don't learn this, you will begin to allow failure to hurt you deeply. And my heart is that you would leverage it that you would take it and become the best that you have ever been in your life. Anytime you ever see someone who is doing something unique, you're like, man, they have great purpose. They're so focused. There's a niche that they have. There's always a story of failure and pain behind it. I've never found anybody who's really great at something, no matter what it is, without this story of pain and failure that goes behind it. You find somebody who's just, they are absolutely focused on helping everybody get out of debt. You know what their story is? I was in a lot of debt and pain. I made some really bad decisions. And let's go on and on and on. But here's my fear. I want you to write this down because this is the thing that can really trip us up. If we don't learn to leverage failure, then we will personalize that failure. That's the key. If you don't choose to leverage it, which I'm going to teach you how to, then you're going to personalize it. And that is when you can go ahead and start counting the days to continue downward spiral in your life. What does that mean? It means that personalizing a failure is not that failed or I made a mistake and a bad decision. It's I'm a failure. I'm a screw up. That's right. I'm, I'm bad. And if you ever get to that point, I'm telling you, everything you touch will not turn to gold. It will turn to something else. Because you'll continue to sabotage every good thing in your life because you've personalized that failure. I failed, I failed, I failed. And I remember my counselor bringing me through stuff in my life. He said, you didn't fail. He said, that failed. And he told me, he said, you have a decision from this point forward. He says, either you can take that as the greatest history book to learn from or you can just keep personalizing it and stay stuck in shame. And my heart for you is that you would understand that you don't have to stay there. You didn't, listen, you are not a failure even though you failed. You are not a screw up even though you screwed up. And stop replaying those things in your head over and over. I hear grown men playing basketball saying, oh, you're just, oh, you're so stupid to to their self. I mean, it's like 50, 50 year old men. Oh man, you're such an idiot. Screaming at themselves. Do you know where, where, where that came from? They messed up in sports as a kid, and they had a dad on the sideline let them know that they were a failure and they were a screw-up. And now that's become their voice. They begin to internalize and personalize that failure. And you will never climb out that way. You have to learn to leverage it. I, I had a friend who told me when it comes to, you know, in our lives, he says, you have to realize something. We all have a past, right? Every one of us. And as you're driving like in a car, you're driving in this car, And you've got to look at the rearview mirror to kind of see what's behind you. And the key is you can't stare at the rearview mirror. And here's what he said to me. He said, said, at certain points in times, your past is going to come up to pass you. If you stare too long at it, if you're looking too hard at it, if you begin to to just start thinking into it, he says, you'll merge with your past and you'll crash. The best thing to do, he says, look at it, notice it, and let it pass He says, you have to take time to just learn from what you went through. And we both are on this journey where we're helping each other learn from the previous seasons of our life, what we could could have done better, what we can do different next time. And I want you guys, no matter what your failure is, some of you have small failures, but you're beating yourself up. Others of you, can I just say this, you have hidden failures. 
you're really good at hiding your sin and it's eating you alive. The best thing you can do is come clean. Talk about what you're watching on the internet. Talk about the things that you're doing, you're saying. Talk about the, the things that you're, just go ahead and, go ahead and bring it out. Because you can continue to follow deeper and deeper into shame and sin without releasing that, right? right. And others of you have really big failures. There's some bad decisions you've made. And yes, you did mess that thing up. Yes, you did make bad decisions. That, that's the facts. But the truth is this. The truth is God wants to use that to create in you something that you've never seen before. Amen. Amen. And it's gonna be up to you and how you respond to your little failures, your hidden failures, and your big failures in life. Because I tell you, your Heavenly Father's not mad at you. He's not that guy's dad on the sideline saying, you're a failure. I tell my son all the time, like yesterday we had a come to Jesus meeting. He had no effort on the basketball court. He was lethargic. It was embarrassing, to be honest. I mean, he's totally not engaged, that's not him. And we got to talking, he said, Dad, are you mad at me? I said, no, son, I'm not mad at you. Are you disappointed in me? I said, no, I'm not disappointed in you. I'm disappointed with the way that you played with your effort because that's not you, and I, I, I believe there's more in you. When he gets in trouble at school, I said, the reason I'm coaching you up, the reason that I'm, I'm giving you standards, you know why I'm giving you standards? Because I believe you can reach it. Not that you're a bad kid. I said, man, you're a great kid, and that's why I'm holding you to a standard like this, and that's how our Heavenly Father thinks of us. And one of the greatest examples in Scripture is not just David, but New Testament, another leader named Peter. And Peter was the guy who was, again, I got your back, Pastor Jesus. I'm always there for you, right? Just that verbal, I got you, I'm in. He was the first to speak, always wrong. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not right. I mean, the men come to approach Jesus to take him. He cuts off you know, people's ears. I mean, Peter was loud and boisterous and just always verbally on it. And Peter was chosen to lead the church. But here's the thing about Peter. He had a colossal failure. Don't you look at this. If you have your Bible, turn uh, to Matthew 26, 31. And this is before Jesus is crucified and betrayed. He says, on the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you in Galilee and meet you there. And then look at Peter. I mean, even he corrects Jesus. Right? That's pretty bold, right? Peter declared. Peter didn't say he declared. If everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you, Pastor Jesus. Look what Jesus says to him. I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And then Peter's going to argue with Jesus again. <laughs> no, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. I've got you, Jesus. I've got this. That will, you know, you know the, let me just say this. The thing that you judge others so harshly on, you say, well, that would never happen to me. You be, be very careful with that. When Jesus says, Jesus speaks twicely about judgment. I just want to add this in here. Very hard. He says this in once to giving, and another one in the judgment, Matthew 18. He says, and in Luke, he says, the same judgment you measure upon other people will be shaken down, pressed down, and running over for you. Because you don't know their life, what they're going through, what they're fighting, what, what's happening. 
And you'd be a sideline armchair quarterback to judge someone else and what they're going through and what they're facing and say, it'll never happen to me. You're the candidate that it will happen to you. Because that's, right. that's how God humbles us, right? I just want to throw that out there for you. And so Peter, let's look on down what happens after that. Jesus says that. Jesus is arrested. And then it says in Matthew 26, verse 69, Matthew 26, 69, meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over to him and said, you are one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said that they're standing around. This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. That's serious. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Right? He was from South Galilee. And Peter swore. Now, this is even more than an oath. Swore a curse on me if I'm lying. If I'm lying, I'm dying. (laughs) I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. And before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. His friend, his rabbi, his master, his leader is taken away to be beaten brutally. And he left him at his lowest moment. He left Jesus. And not only left him, like the other disciples deserted silently, he literally curses and says, I don't know the man. Takes an, says an oath, I don't know the man. This is next level. Peter ultimately failed Jesus. Ultimately. What you're gonna learn from this, though, is very important. His story doesn't stop there. David's story doesn't stop here, and neither does Peter's. Peter did something I think all of us have to do. He failed, but there's something you have to know to do when you fail. I want you to write this down. You have to learn to fail forward fail forward and that's what Peter did what does that mean failing forward that means you're going to leverage the failure that means you're not going to beat yourself up and be locked into shame and disappointment and locked into a previous of what should have would have could have but didn't that means you're going to fail forward with it not stay in your past with it and that's what Peter did now don't you look what happens because Peter is approached by Jesus, and we'll look at this a little later, and Jesus restores Peter, Jesus forgives Peter. And Peter's story didn't stop with lying and with cursing and all that. Look at Acts 2.41, it says this, those who believe what Peter said was, were baptized and added to that church about 3,000 in all. Peter preached the first gospel message ever on the day of Pentecost when the church was born and the Holy Spirit came and 3,000 people got saved. He went from denying Jesus and watching his rabbi, his master, and his Lord be crucified to then leading the greatest revolution we have ever known. He learned to fail forward. And can I tell you, for you, of those of you and all of us who have failed, fail forward. If you're in failure right now, fail forward. And the ones of you that are gonna fail, when you face that, learn to fail forward. And how do you do that? There's three things I've learned with my failures in life. The first thing is this, become infatuated with the anatomy of your failure. What does that mean? Become infatuated with the anatomy of it. It's almost like an autopsy. You look at that thing that died. 
and you look at it and you pick it apart to find out, okay, what, what could have I done different to prepare yourself for the next decisions in life? What, where did I go wrong with this? See, the wrong thing is to blame yourself and blame others. Somebody who is immature and probably narcissistic, they blame other people for their failures and they blame themselves. Want to be real hard on themselves. That's what narcissists do. They're really hard on themselves because they want everybody to pity them. Can I tell you who, who shows up to your pity party? The devil. Oh, yeah, you're such a failure. Poor you. Oh, yeah, it's over. You, you're such a screw. You're right. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. And people who are, not your, who are not there for you, those are the people who show up for pity parties to wallow with you in it. You need some friends who will pat you on the back and kick you in the butt, right? But you have to look at your failure and take it as, a, as an anatomy, as an autopsy. I want to learn about the anatomy of this thing. I want to dissect it because I'm going to get better. This certain thing will not happen again because I promise I will not be the same person in that previous season. And that's the decision you have to make when it comes to failing. The second thing you have to do if you're gonna leverage your failure, again, is allow your failure to tell you more about yourself than others. If you look back at a previous relationship and all you can do is look back at what they did wrong, then you're gonna fail over again. If you look back at a previous job, why can't you keep a job? Maybe your attitude stinks but you're blaming everybody else not liking you for a different reason. I'm just saying. Maybe it's you consistently showing up late all the time, but you won't take responsibility for it. You just think everybody doesn't like you. Let your failures show you more about yourself than other people so you can look introspectively and learn from it and allow the Lord to speak to you and show you how you can be better for next time. And the third and final thing you have to do if you're gonna leverage it this is very important, is bring your failure to Christ so you can fail forward. God's not mad at you. And I think the greatest lie that we encounter, that we believe, that nobody tells us what we believe, is that God is upset with us because we have failed. God is disappointed, he's angry, he's mad, and we're in timeout. It's almost like, you know, when I send my son to the room, hey, you go to the room, and when, you, when you're able to, to, to pull it together, go have your emotions, it's okay, come out, and then we'll talk, right? That's the way you feel about God. That God's like, hey, you screwed up. Go to your room, and I don't want to see your face until you straighten it up, and then you come back. That's not how God works. Matter of fact, what you see in the story of Jesus and Peter is the beautiful attributes and character of our God is that he pursues those who fail and comes to meet them. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve colossally, royally messed up. And now we're all paying for it. And God went looking for them. Jesus tells us the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, that our Father pursues us who have failed who have made mistakes and understand those. And you look at the interaction between Jesus and Peter, that's what Jesus does in John 21, verse 17. Jesus goes to Peter and he wants to restore the relationship. But Peter's still hurt. Peter's embarrassed. Peter's ashamed. It says in John 21, 17, the third time he asked him, because he's asking him, do you love me? 
That's all Jesus wants to know. He's not asking, will you ever mess up again? He's not asking about your failure. He wants to know one thing that will get you through every failure and help you learn to fail forward. Do you love me? That's what I need to know. Do you really love Jesus? And he says, third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then look what he says next. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now you think, oh yeah, that's right, because Peter was a preacher and we know the story. At that point in time, Peter was a failure in what he had done, right? He had messed up. She's just like, go feed my sheep. It's like, if you love me, continue on the mission I've called you to. He didn't put him in time out. He didn't put him in a probationary period. He said, go do my will. And then it says here, verse 18, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. He was referring there, I'll say this, Jesus let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God, meaning the death on a cross. Peter was crucified upside down. Then Jesus told him, follow me. I believe some of you in here um, have put your relationship on God in autopilot. You're keeping God at arm's distance because something failed in your life. Something messed up, you trusted God. Uh, the loved one died, they, they didn't get healed. The marriage didn't make it. The person went and did their own thing and went, went back into addiction. And you're looking back at those things. I think some of you are kind of like, yeah, I mean, I kind of like this church and it's cool, but I'm not sure if I can really trust God again. I don't know if I can trust myself that I won't mess up again. Can I tell you, our Heavenly Father is with you as much when you fail as when you succeed. He does not grade on a curve. That's the gospel. And I want you, if you've kind of put yourself at arm's distance with your heavenly father and kind of just, oh, I just don't know, or, or with, with, with the local church and just being all in, the same invitation that Jesus gave to Peter, he gives to you today. If you're watching online, he gives to you today. Do you love me? You know, he wants to hear it. Do you love me? Most of y'all, you know, men have a hard time saying that, right? So like, Peter has a hard time saying it back. And he finally says, yeah, you know I love you. Then re-engage my mission. Be all in once again. God's asking for some of you, you need to understand that forgiveness by the cross gives you access to him. He forgives you. You're not a failure even though that failed. And can I promise you, if you, this is conditional. This is conditional. If you will leverage your failure, bring your failure to Christ, look at that and learn from it, your best days will be ahead of you. And what we're gonna do in a few minutes is take communion. And what I want you to do when you take communion today, especially when you get to the part number one, the body of Christ broken for you, that's beautiful. Our broken Lord receives broken people to make them whole again, amen? And declare that you will be whole once again. That God is doing that. And as you take of the juice, which represents the blood, I want you to take a moment. Don't, don't walk out and try to get out of here quick. Take a moment with the Lord, and that represents the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And celebrate the fact you're as close to God today, no matter what situation you're in, as you will ever be in your life because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, 
I pray and I plead with you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to hearts in here. There are people who are heavy, who carry a weight, who carry a shame, and it's time to release that, God. I pray that they would receive your forgiveness and understand that you are not mad at them, you're not upset with them, you are beckoning, you are calling, you are crying, you are waiting with open arms to receive them if they will just come to you. As Jesus pursued Peter, Lord, you are pursuing people today, and may they feel that in their heart. So I pray, God, that they would receive your forgiveness and forgive themselves. And understand, Lord, that you love them so much and want to use them. May they trust you and trust people again. As we're praying today, church, maybe your next step is, maybe you walked away from your faith. Maybe you did like Peter did and went back to fishing and left and just said, I'm just done with it. I'm I'm a failure. And maybe that's you and you've come to church today knowing that you want to reignite your faith. You want to be in love with Jesus. Maybe for the first time ever, you've ever that you'll make this decision or you're coming back to faith in Christ. If that's you this morning, you're sitting here today physically or watching online, this is your time right where you're at. You can sense it. The Lord wants you to come back to faith or come to faith in Christ. So right where you're sitting, I want you to pray this prayer after me. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus is Lord. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. And I believe he is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the only way to the Father. So today, I surrender to Christ. I receive forgiveness of sins. I turn away and repent of my old life and receive new life. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray.